Charlotte, Gastonia, Rock Hill, 704 area. Welcome to this latest installment of Under Construction. I am your host for today, Jamal, the angry black fan, Darby. To my right, we have Mr. Kai's associate in the building. What's going on, brother? Living the dream. Living the dream. But that's not important because we have <laughs> I, I don't even want to call you a guest anymore. I, this is like this is family. We we have we have the grandfather of under construction in the building today. <laughs> Mr. Jerry V is in the building. Mr. V, how's it going, my man? Hey, you won't have to worry being on with an angry brother. If I'm if I'm such a valuable member of the family, where y'all been? Look, we, we have to get Rodney to answer that question. Speaking of which, um, I want everybody watching and listening, man. Just throw up a quick one for Mr. For Mr. Rodney, man. He is battling coronavirus, unfortunately, yeah. man. So we are uh, just throw out all of our well wishes. We, we wish him the best. We want him to get well very soon. So unfortunately, he's not strength. with us today, man. strength to Rodney. Yeah. your strength. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. But we do have business to tend to, and to start it off, we're going to start off with the week that was with our inconsistent Charlotte Hornets. Fellas, I finished the week. Uh, since you've seen our lovely faces, the fellas went three and two, including wins over the Indiana Pacers and a very exciting win over the Milwaukee Bucks last night. Lamelo Ball is shining. I want to get you guys' thoughts on the week that was Lamelo Ball. Whatever you're thinking, we're going to start with the guests, of course, Mr. Valancourt. What do you make of this team? I mean, what, what do we do? We know who this team is yet. That's a good question. Uh, this morning, I got up, guys, and I started crunching out some trends with the club. And if you were going to put a banner on top of the page, it would obviously say uh, "inconsistent" or "who are they?" because they don't know yet. There's four areas of play that I call indicators when I watch a basketball team play uh, that tells me where they're headed or where they are. And they are their scoring, how they take care of the ball, their turnovers, their uh, rebounding, and their free throws. Um, in scoring, and I'll share these numbers now, the Hornets are number 20 in the league in offensive efficiency. That's indicative of their record because it fluctuates. So offensively, they're not as consistent as they need to be. Now, now, why is that? Because they're ranked. There's a there's a stat that I love called effective field goal percentage. Gives me the value of the two and the three combined within their offense, and they're ranked 19th in the league. And that's the true indicator. One of the true indicators that really tells you about the offense. Now, if you want to go a little deeper, let's tie in free throws. Let's look at the two, effectiveness of shooting the two, shooting the three, getting to the line, and making those. And when you look at those numbers, they're number 22 in the league. So you can see what it, where the fever is offensively. They're not attacking the rim enough and getting to the line, and their jump shooting and scoring game isn't as consistent as it needs to be. All right? The second area, guys, are turnovers. The 21st in the league in turnovers, 15 a game, that's too many. That right. impacts your mm -hmm. offense. The next one is their rebounding. You look, I don't look at total rebounds. I look at rebounding percentage. Percentage, right. How much, how much the percentage of you grabbing your misses? They're 15th in the league in that category, and they're 29th in defensive rebounding. Another weak area of play. Notice all of this matches what their record is right now. And then their free throws, they're 17th in free throw attempts. And they're 22 in free throws made. If you, if the three of us were doctors and we went in to examine and x-ray this team, we would all arrive at the same conclusion. We can obviously see what their areas of weakness are to match what you said at the top of the broadcast. Who right. are they? This is who they are. An inconsistent team still looking to see what they're all about. And indicative of that, we see the number of lineups. And, and Kaiser, before I get to you, man, a follow-up question I have for you, Jerry. You know, with those offensive efficiency numbers, uh, you know, basically we're looking at a team that's at the bottom half with those numbers. You right. think James? You think James Rego realized his, what those challenges were going to be, which is why he made it a point to to, to improve the pace of this off of this offense. Yeah, you know, the pace thing is a fun thing from an entertaining standpoint, as far as the fans are concerned and watching your team play. What happens though when you increase pace? 
you accelerate decision making. When you want to play faster, you got to think faster, you have to react faster, and you have to make quicker decisions. So this defense is 15th, 16th in the league, defensive efficiency. Why is that? Pace, quicker decision. You'll notice in the younger players, they still don't know when, where, and how the rotations come. I see late rotations, situations, late help. Who's got who, when, where, how? Sometimes it's better with a younger team is to let them accelerate the pace gradually, build up to it as your decision-making improves. But right yeah. now, with the trial and error, they're going to have to suffer for a while. And they're, they're, right. they're maintaining. They've had very nice moments. But they've had moments just like you guys. They've had moments I watch them play, and I'm like, mamma mia. You know. <laughs> and then other moments I go, ah, that's my boy. That's what I like. All right? so. I can take Mr. So say, what you got, man? How can you, how can you follow that up, brother? No, yeah, absolutely. The Hornets' major issue last season was – Offense, pace, offense, they weren't shooting and hitting enough three-pointers. Right. Those are things that the Hornets wanted to address in the offseason. Um, they've made some improvements in that area. I think they were dead last in pace last season. Now they're 18th, 19th in pace. But Jerry brings up a good point about decision-making. If I recall, earlier in the season, JB essentially said something to the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing here, that when primary ball handers bring the ball across the uh, half court, they have three seconds to make a decision. Either you're going to pass it or shoot it or make some kind of offensive move to the basket. And you can see the gears turning when Hornets players bring the ball up court. Uh, for some players, that's great. I think for some players, it's not some, I don't think some players have the tools to do that, to be, to be able to make that fast decision. And one thing I'd like to see the Hornets do is take that decision, that decision-making ability away from some players. Um, some players, you got to be role players. It's like, I love the Martin twins and I love what they've done for the team, but I see that in them. I don't want Caleb Martin deciding whether or not he wants to ISO and shoot a three when the game is on the line. Um, right. that's, that's a great point. I, uh, I remember sitting down with the great Oscar Robinson. It was an hour and a half conversation. Oh, a little, little name dropping this this, <laughs> this Sunday morning. That's got to do what it's got to do, right? They had a little pop for the show. Um, and the point that you just made is so right on. Oscar Robinson said to me, he asked me, do you know what the toughest decision it is for a player to master in basketball, high school, college, and even in the pros? And it takes some guys a while even in the pros. I go, what's that? When to pass, when to shoot. Right. And in right. the flow of the offense that you brought up, when the confidence comes and the feel comes up of the game, then you know when to give it up, when to keep it. Do I pass or do I shoot? And I think, which goes to, I'm thinking too much. I'm mm -hmm. not into that flow. And here's another thing. You talk about pace. The Hornets are 19th in the league in shot attempts and 22nd in shots made goes back to what you mentioned, not shooting. So you yeah. tie that in with decision-making. You want to play an accelerated pace. You're not making the shots. What's tough on a player when shots aren't dropping? Young players especially, mental toughness, going from offense to defense, grinding the defense and playing hard. It's easier to play defense for younger players. Yeah. Shots are dropping. Which is a great segue to what I want to talk about next. Speaking from offense to defense, there's been this big stink about James Borrego uh, going to zone defenses uh, during games. Uh, during the first uh, game with Orlando this week, uh, there was a point in the fourth quarter, I guess Miles Bridges got into it with one of the assistant coaches, and he basically challenged the other players, let's get out this zone defense and let's just guard our guys. Now, before I get you guys' thoughts on it, you know, this is something I have mentioned in previous shows. And I've all now I want to get you guys' thoughts on this, obviously, but I've always said the reason why JB goes to zone so much because he doesn't trust the guys who are on the team to just guard their guys. Jerry, I just want to get your thoughts on that, man. What do you think of and before you go on, before you say that, I'm noticing that, you know, that this week 
we've seen less and less of this kind of matchup zone defense that JB prefers. What are your thoughts on that as well? That's a good question. It's a good observation, too. Remember what I said earlier. As you're watching the game, you are seeing where is my rotating defender? Where is my help? Where is my flow? Where are my assignments? Okay, so what do you try to do as a coach? You try to lessen the responsibility load to try to build confidence because you're trying to win games, okay? Young players, when you challenge them that way, sometimes young players, when they're told there is a deficiency, they might retaliate. No, no, there isn't. You know, no, there isn't. It's like telling a player, you're not shooting the ball well. Yes, I am, until you show them the game tape. Goes back to one of my favorite sayings I have. Statistics will accuse you. The game tape will convict you. And when they see it on the right. game tape, they go, that's me? I'm making those defensive mistakes? So, so, yeah. so, so that's so, what he's doing, yeah. In other words, stats tell the story, but they don't always tell the entire story. No, Is no. That stats, stats are like, that's like me asking you, where were you on that possession, and why did you miss the open man? You are guilty of missing the open man. And then you go, he wasn't open. And then I show you the game tape, and I go, look at the tape. And you go, Ma, he is open. And you're right. right. Stats only tell a little bit of the story. They tell some of the story. But when you roll that tape, it is so revealing. I didn't right. steal that cookie. Yes, you did. <laughs> my mother would roll game tape and say, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sose, what are your thoughts on the last, uh, on, on Mouse Bridges challenging his teammates in the morning. defense? You're not smiling this morning. Yeah, you're all right, bro. You, you no, 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 no. Happy. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm, hey, I was real happy last night. I, I couldn't sleep. I was so excited after a Hornets win, after Cody Zeller put uh Giannis on a poster on that poster. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a poster of that the Terry Rozier dump um getting all those but uh I'm double speak. happy with that win and then double happy goes after that I watched the new Denzel Washington movie okay yeah I'm gonna <laughs> check that out too but speaking of Cody Zeller fans don't want to hear this but the return of Cody Zeller has made a difference particularly because of the Hornets don't have to run as much matchup zone because they got a guy in the paint now I know Cody Zeller's not an elite defender but He's probably he takes up more space than Biombo does. Uh, he's he's just a little better than Bismack Biombo. So the Hornets can kind of gamble in that. Okay, the individual de if a defender is going to get breaking down off the ISO, but when he gets to the paint, Zeller's there, and then the player's got to make a decision whether he wants to try and shoot over Zeller or kick the ball out. I don't think it's a coincidence the Hornets have went three and two after Zeller has returned. I mean, he's played really. Uh, well, especially for what we expect um, out of Cody Zeller. Uh, the, the Hornets have always had a problem rotating defensively. I mean, we can see that. We don't even need the game field. We can see that during the game. They don't make smart enough decisions on help. Like, sometimes they'll help too late or they're not sure. Or sometimes I don't think a guy even needs help and the Hornets, a player will feel like, I need to go over and help. And then – the ball rotates offensively, and you got a guy shooting a wide-open three. And that's been the bane of the Hornets this season is other teams shooting the three. Not shooting the three well, but simply just shooting it. And all Just, the have, just having a lot of attempts right, to shoot yeah. the three. Right, every right. loss the Hornets have uh, – every Hornets loss this season, the other team has hit more threes than the Hornets have. Um, that's, that's just not a coincidence. Uh, last night, the Hornets shot the three abnormally well. Um, but at the same time, the Bucks didn't shoot the three great. But they, you know, they shot it around what, what they'd normally shoot on average, and I, I think that's because um, the Hornets didn't go to matchup zone as much as they normally did do. So I think as the team starts to gel offensively and defensively, um, we'll I think we'll see less and less matchup zone, and the players will, like Jerry B said, they've got to learn to make those good decisions. On yeah, both that, that, that will come. The Hornets are 13, 11th in the league in May threes, by the way. Again, let's go back to that game tape theme connected to it, the comments that you just made that were that were good observations as well. You guys brought your A game this morning. I'm very proud of both of you. First of all, remember the story about Moses when he brought the tablet? Yes. On, on the other side of the tablet, 
there were rules they couldn't get to because it would have taken up too much room in the book. So, but on the other side of the tablet, it said, your defense is only as good as your rotating defenders. <laughs> Imagine if he would have said that, there wouldn't be a defensive rotation problem <laughs> in any basketball all over the world because it is a, it is a defensive sin. When you go back and look at the game tape, you're asking players, as you freeze the tape, this situation, where's my rotator, where's my help? Who should go where? What's the distance between my closeout defender and the shooter? Is he getting out there in time? Are they running screens to block his path? All the little idiosyncrasies. The toughest thing for young players and collective team defense to master are defensive rotations, help situations, when to go, when not to, when to stay, who helps, who recognizes mismatches. So when teams are making threes, you go back and look at that tape and say, are they uncontested threes? Are they open gap threes? Are they challenged threes? If they're not challenged, you know that coaching staff is, is, is breaking that game mm -hmm. tape down to find out why. Is it a mental mistake? Is it a physical mistake? Is there something in the offensive execution blocking our rotations beautifully? All that's got to come into play. Now put that all in a big bowl and give it to a young player, and that young player is like, right, right. His point about learning—it's a painful process in mastering. I, I'd like to see the Hornets do more switching defensively. I think that might would solve some of their depending issues. on the matchup. You know, right. Yeah, depending on the matchup. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's another decision. Great point. That's another decision. Do I, I think do I stay? Do I go over the top of the pick and roll? Do I go under the pick and roll? Where am I going? What is the personnel? You know where that comes from? Young players studying game tape and listening to their coaches. Yeah, it, but in the thing with defensive switching, like it's, I think it's just easier if you just say switch everything. That's obviously easier for a young for a younger team to understand. But then you you fall into the trap of okay, help versus overhelping, which we've talked about earlier in this discussion. So. I mean, like Jerry V said, I think that depends on the matchup if you go to start switching small everything. Play, and sometimes they got small guards on the floor. And in today's game where you have bigs that can shoot with range, you're switching your, your, your possibilities of switching diminish. Mm -hmm. You're switching small to big, right. et cetera. And then teams pick that up like this. Right, right. Plus, and I mean, if you're, if you're that's playing, why you want length and quickness. In right. your players. Plus, if you're playing against James Harden, doesn't matter what you do. I, I mean, or, or a player like who can manipulate defenses, no matter what the defense is. A player like James Harden, he can manipulate man-to-man um, -man defense with help. You know that wall of help that a lot of teams do. Yeah, so yeah. More legal defense. Yeah. Guys that are that good, it really doesn't matter. So I, I think as long yeah, as he's in the he's in the forget about it, Kevin. Right? Yeah. 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 Honest, I'm watching the game last night, and I'm like, this guy's unstoppable. If he literally, if he decided, I'm just going to drive every play and score. Yeah. How about those Nets? How about the Brooklyn hey. Nets with that trio? Oh, God. Yeah. Hey, 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 Kyle, speaking of that, man, I, so I'm, I'm I'm here watching the game with my uncle, and we're watching Giannis, and my uncle says. It's like, man, you know what he's going to do every time. Why don't they just get in front of him? And I'm just like, I don't think it's that easy, bro. <laughs> like, it's real easy to say it from the couch, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, man, I do want to uh, get Jerry V's thoughts on a hot topic around these parts, man. It's, it, you, first of all, Jerry, it's been too long since we've had you on this show, man. So much has happened in, in the Hornets world since the last time we saw you. So I got to ask you this hot topic question, man. Sure. What do you what do you think about the kid? What do you think about Lamella Ball? Overall thoughts so far? Uh, last two games, he's been terrific. Um, I'm looking at his uh, he's at in 20 games, getting about uh, he's averaging a dozen and six rebounds. Last three games, he's 17, five rebounds, seven assists. Two steals, sixty-three percent from the floor, twenty percent from three. But that's that's coachable. That's just practice time. Um, physically, he's got the dimensions. Remember, he's still a young puppy. Mm -hmm. It's going to grow. It's going to get stronger. Going to get smarter. He's got some nice basketball skills. Let's look at the obvious. You want to see him uh, become more consistent with the jumper. 
Now, that's going to be a technique or results question. Some people talk about the ugliness of his shot, the technique of his shot. Which I'm not worried about personally, but... I look at results. You could shoot the ball off the top of your head wearing a bird's nest on your forehead. <laughs> for a high percentage, I'm not going to change your shot. Um, that's something they'll decide. But as far as his basketball skills, you know, he, he gets up and down the floor. He's got a good enough handle. His vision seems nice for now. And I'm projecting this according to his age. Remember, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience at any level, you know, beyond the high school. Uh, he's got tons of potential. Um, I think he's going to be a very nice player in this league. Is he going to become a blow-my-mind player? Don't know yet. It's early. But I see a lot of nice things about his game. Defensively, needs work. But that's true for a lot of young players, practically all young players. He's one of those that falls into the problem of when and where defensively. Yeah. I'd like to see him get tougher defensively on and off the ball. But he's just oozing, oozing with potential. It's like looking at a cannoli. You look at a great-looking cannoli, and you see all that great ingredient in it. And you say, wow, that's going to be delicious. But then you discover some cannolis taste better than others depending on the ingredients put in the sauce and cream. That's what he is. So he right. can really be dynamite. So I had so. Of course, we have to ask. No, we, now we have to ask the obvious question, or, or the question that is burning uh, here in, in Hornets Nation. As far as the dynamic between James Borrego and Lamelo Ball goes, uh, half the fan base they want uh, James Borrego fired because Lamelo Ball doesn't get thirty-five minutes a game. With that being said, should the kid start? If not, when should he start? And is is there even a timeline? Okay. Now, you know me, I'm, I'm pretty blunt on things to the fan base. My answer yeah. is, one, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> shut up. Okay? That, that's a young – go back and look at the timeline of his career and tell me how much experience he has when he got out of high school. <laughs> now he's in the NBA, for crying out. in the NBA. Right? Okay? Now, should he start? Well, do you see him practice every day? Do you hear his comments and observations when he's looking at tape with his coaches? I mean, there are moments he looks like he's lost. There are moments he looks terrific. Young player blessed with all kinds of potential. Should he start? If he has not earned the right to start, checking all the boxes of attention, practice habits and all, he shouldn't start. Be because, because that matters, right? I'm not going to base it just on a few games performance because he's giving you some wow moments. I want my young players to earn their bones. And as he earns his bones, then I reward him. If I reward him too quickly because of your lack of patience, the fan base lack of patience, I'm doing a disservice to my team and to my staff. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to say real quick, like, it's hard to question the way a player or a coach develops players, especially when he has been relatively successful at it. Um, if you look at what James Borrego has done with Devontae Graham, Miles Bridges, and P.J. Washington, why would I question the way he's bringing along LaMelo Great point. Do not base the minutes or starting of a player based on evaluations on Twitter and yeah. social media. Plus, uh, the Hornets have a yeah. coach, Jay Triano, who is great at developing players. He developed uh, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, yeah. uh, DeMarcus DeRozan. So he's helping. To, I, I, why would I question those guys? Those guys are professional. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, and I, I look, I spent 22 years behind the scenes watching players develop on the NBA level. I see how hard the coaches work. I see players that learn quicker than others. I see players more receptive than others. You take ball, let him evolve. His reward will come. If he gives me a great week of practice, I mean, I start him a game or two and see what he's got. Do not bring the total basket of reward to a young player too soon unless he's an extraordinary talent. Also, a, a lot of fans miss this, but sometimes it's not whether or not you start, 
it's where where you finish. Where you finish the game. Who's right. been on the critical moments? Yeah. Who's been on the floor at the end of the last three games? Yep. Mellow ball. I think coach has uh, great trust in him, sure. but, but he just hasn't quite earned that. Now, with Terry Rozier injured, that might change. Uh, the coach's hand might be forced. And, and then I think, I do feel, however, think at that point, there's no going back. If you start LaMelo Ball due to the Terry Rozier injury, JB's going to have a really, really hard decision to make in about two weeks when Terry's fully. Yeah, I don't think it's a hard decision. I, I explained to the young player. The guy is back. I am not going to deny a player his starting position due to injury. injury. No, yeah, I know. I agree with he that. Comes back. You did a wonderful job. Now I know what you can do for us. Now you've become a more reliable player. Rozier starts. Now I can use more of you and reward you with more minutes. See, that's part of the maturity process of a player. And that's the difficult thing for coaches now is, is explaining that point to a player. So I don't punish Rozier because of injury. I want to I want to uh, share an observation, and I want to see if you guys feel the same way. There was a game versus Chicago back on the 22nd. Uh, LaMelo Ball struggled with turnovers in that game. I think he was like five turnovers in 15 minutes or something, something like that. And, 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 and JB pretty much yanked him. He pretty much benched him. Yeah. From that point, I feel like LaMelo Ball has responded from being challenged by James Rorego. Do you guys share that same observation? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. You what do you learn about people, players? Let's with players. How players handle certain circumstances, how they respond to it. Coaches know the players better than we do. They're with them on a daily basis. Some players right. respond to yelling. Some players don't. You don't coach all guys the same way. You put a challenge out to the youngster. Show me what you got. We hear that in we used to hear that in the schoolyards and on the playgrounds and in the gym. Show me what you got. <laughs> and if you didn't respond to the guy talking to you, show me what you got. Come on, show me your game. If you didn't respond, they know they had a soft player. But if you then you discovered what guys, you don't tell certain guys, show me what you got, because then they destroy you. So the coach <laughs> a nice challenge in the basketball world, the athletic world. To a player, it's a very simple rule. Show me what you got. Any yeah. player can't respond to that. I, I put down in the soft category. You, you know what, Jerry? There is another uh, player that I wanted to ask you about because I, I keep forgetting it's been so long since we had you, man. Now, Lamelo Ball is obviously the hot topic, but let's talk about Mister One Hundred and Twenty Million Dollar Man, Mister Gordon Hayward. What are your thoughts on Mister Hayward so far this season? Uh, I, I've always liked him as a player. I thought they overpaid, overspent for what he can bring to you for a mediocre team. And they were they were relying on him too frequently, too much. They put a big burden on him when he came back. He was having some big, big games. There is no doubt that he is a talent. But as far as building the team, I thought it was a move because the Hornets were looking to add some instant credibility to their roster to, to, to show people, hey, I thought they overpaid and I thought they overspent. I don't question his talent. I just question the economics that went with the right. deal for a team right. that is in the obvious rebuilding process. Right, right, right. Um, and, and I felt the same way. I didn't like the years on the contract. I, I, I don't necessarily like four years. If it was a two-year deal, I probably wouldn't be as as you know as as apprehensive about it, man. But I feel like he's such a a, a stable, calming force with this young team, and and, and I kind of. You know, I I still don't know if that's worth four three years down the road, yeah. but for this season, well, I'm in love with him. <laughs> if you're doing, if you're spending that big money going short term to stabilize my team, and my team is not getting better, I don't become a playoff team. That's where the economics comes in, as far as I'm concerned. There's no doubt he's a talent. I, I enjoy watching him play very very much. But in pro sports today, as you guys know, economics can impact your roster and can have a dramatic effect on what happened. I mean, just look at the Los Angeles Rams. <coughs> Nick uh, <with> <coughs> deal, And when you go back for the five years that they had Goff, the Rams gave up like 6,421 picks, it seems, to get <laughs> Goff. Now he's gone. <laughs> Well, look, save some for later because we're actually going to get into that really, really soon. So save, save think, some of that for later. I think one thing that happened that was unexpected and it accelerated the Hornets' timeline in picking up 
specifically Gordon Hayward, was that he opted out of his Boston deal. No one was expecting him to turn down, what, $34 million. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think the idea was, okay, Gordon Hayward is a realistic free agent that Charlotte can, hand, can land, even if we have to overpay him. He's going to opt out of his – or he's not going to opt out of his deal. He's going to stay in the last uh, year of his deal in Boston. And then next year he's going to be a free agent. That Nick Batum money is going to be gone. We'll pick him up. We'll have, uh, you know – our young guys will bring in Gordon Hayward and we'll be okay. And then he opts out of his deal. And so now the Hornets are like, okay, we can't take the chance that someone else is going to get him because someone else certainly would have picked him up. And then, you know, the free agent market next year, I don't think Charlotte has a chance at any of those names. I think the Hornets, they might have overreached a little bit. Uh, and they, I think they may feel like economically this year is kind of a wash with Gordon Hayward because I don't think they really want to take the chance that. Well, the, 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 how we will be discussing that pick in addition to the roster is going to be determined how other players evolve and how the roster evolves around him. Yeah. Or he will be, he will be the guy that's tagged as the very expensive, talented commodity, but you really didn't lift yourself up high enough, but that remains to be seen. Yeah. All right, guys, moving on in other news, there was a blockbuster NFL trade. Yes. Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford will be changing cities. Matthew Stafford will be going to sunny L.A. while uh, Jared Goff is going to Motown. Guys, now the reason why I bring this up is pretty obvious because we want to know how this affects the Carolina Panthers and the Deshaun Watson saga. Before we get into that, what do you think about the Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff trade, number one? Want to go first? Yeah, you go first, Mr. Jerry. Um, the Rams get the quarterback that they need. The Rams desperate to get into back to the Super Bowl. Goff has uh, pretty much exasperated the coaching staff. They feel that they've gotten all they can out of him. Stafford needed some additional weapons around him. Because in, in Detroit, they lost a key run attack, didn't have the passing targets needed due to injury or, or roster management, etc. Now he goes to a Ram team. I think he makes them a better football team. Uh, for the Rams, it's a good pick. They gave up a lot to get Goff over five years and to get Stafford. You put those two moves together. I like the move for the Rams. I think they get the better quarterback who will appear? Who who always was a good quarterback, but victim of surroundings, who now gets a new start. I like it for the Rams. I said the same thing last week, Kaiser. What are your thoughts on this trade? You know, we talked about uh, last week. We talked specifically about Matthew Stafford coming to Carolina, and I was a proponent of it. I feel like Matthew Stafford was a good quarterback that just had the the unfortunate privilege of playing for you know the Detroit Lions. Uh, the one time that he had anyone, I mean, Megatron, he had one of the greatest wide receivers of all time, and look what they were able to do together. I think you put him on a team like the Rams, which, you know, they're right on the cusp, you know, just two years removed from the Super Bowl. Um, and golf didn't perform all that well in that Super Bowl. Uh, I think this bodes well for, for Los Angeles. Uh, I don't think that Detroit necessarily came out bad on this deal either, and I think that's why the deal was made. I think Jared Goff is he's a pretty good quarterback. In fact, statistically, uh, he's very similar to Matthew Stafford. He just doesn't have, you know, the longevity uh, because Stafford's been in the league longer. But um, I think that Jared Goff will be fine with what the Lions are wanting to do as far as rebuilding their team, whatever that may be. Also, a guy like Matt Stafford, been in the league a long time. You like to see those guys get a chance to get a championship. He, there was no chance he was going to get to a Super Bowl in Detroit. There, it just wasn't going to happen. Now he's got a chance in L.A., and I think everyone uh, everyone likes that. And I, so part of me thinks that Detroit was doing Matt Stafford a favor, actually, by sending him to a contender because they knew that they had wasted all of you know his best years in Detroit. Yeah. Now, one thing we have not talked about and how this relates to the Panthers is the specs of the deal. Detroit is getting a litany <laughs> of draft picks back. They're getting two first-round picks. They're getting a third-round pick in 2021. So the question has to be asked, gentlemen, uh, how how does this drive up the market for Deshaun Watson, and how does this affect the Carolina Panthers? Um, guys, I'm going to start with you first, man. If you're yeah, Dave I Tepper, what are you thinking after this? 
I, I don't think Watson is realistic for any team in the NFL anymore after this deal. We already wow. we already knew that Deshaun Watson was going to be very expensive as far as uh, trade assets. Also, he's still under contract. Also, the Texans GM came out and said Deshaun Watson ain't going nowhere. Um, the Texans are looking to make coaching staff hires in order to appease Deshaun Watson. They're gonna they're gonna keep their best player. They, I think they're gonna do whatever they can do to keep their best player. Plus, he's got a no trade clause in his contract, so he has to approve whatever trade is made. Those, to me, those that's just too many moving parts to make a deal. Plus, Matthew Stafford or is Matthew Stafford really worth that many picks? If Matthew Stafford is worth that many first round picks, what is Deshaun Watson? And with the Panthers, I think they have too many holes. Not that you need first round picks to necessarily win a championship, but we have too many deficiencies that we kind of need those picks. And I'm not sure Deshaun Watson, although he would be an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater, but is he enough to elevate the Panthers while we still have those deficiencies we couldn't fill because we traded our draft picks away? Um, I, I don't, I, I, I don't see it happening. Mr. You don't Mr. See J, what you got? You don't see him being traded? I don't see him being traded. I certainly don't see him being traded. An eyebrow, an, eye, an eyebrow razor took place last <laughs> night. Deshaun Watson <laughs> dropped every reference of uh, the Texans from his social media. Ooh, now that's he not He dropped that's... every reference. Mm. Any association with the team, he dropped. That's telling. So there's a little... There's a little game going on here. You know, maybe right. Legion said, you know, let's really bust their chops and accelerate this. He wanted the enemy to be hired from Kansas City. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Which staggers me. He's interviewed six, seven times. Can't get a head coaching. That's, a, that's another story. But so that happening yesterday was like, ah, this is intensifying. The word is now, it's not like I have the end all be all. But when you talk to people, when I hear too frequently, he really wants out. Wow. There is, Absolutely. I'm wondering, there's got to be more dynamics behind the scenes than we know about. Because if, if you have an unhappy, disgruntled player that way, and he's controlling his destiny, and he's playing all of this shenanigans that are going on, is there more going on? Or is this a brilliant case of, let me move the furniture my way to, to, force, to force your hand. But it's my indication, he wants out of there. Um, now, 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 speaking of forcing forcing their hand, like if this gets, I mean, it's already ugly. Let's let's not get it get it twisted. But if this gets any uglier, does that drive down the market? I mean, could could we see a situation where the Texans just say, you know what? I mean, hey, we got to take what we can get. Not take what we can get, but we're not going to get what we want ultimately. Do you see that happening? That, that I'm sorry that he does what? Do you see a situation where it gets so ugly? The Texans come to a point where they say, "Okay, we're not going to get what we want ultimately, but we got to get something for him." You know what I mean? Oh, like, I'm going to play this thing to the max. Number one, if I'm the general manager, I want him out of the division. I want him out of the conference. Right. And if I'm going to do that, you know, Carolina Panthers. Hello. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, I want him out. I want him out of here. Right. Uh, right. If. Uh, I still think this this has legs. I still think this deal has legs. I think there's more chit chat going on behind the scenes, and we're all privy to the uh, the. Listen, the Jets have an expiring rookie contract in Darnold, mm -hmm. and, and they have and they have two team. first round picks. This yeah, year. they got they got the number two and number twenty three pick. You know, Carolina Panthers. They got what the, the eighth pick. You go there, you're out of the division, you're out of the conference. Now, how much can you give up? I don't know. Now, what's the other X factor could determine where he wants to go? The coach. He's right. enamored with the new hire in New York. <clears throat> Is the, there's always a tipping point that influences a player or the, the organization. You know, it's behind the scenes. Who knows, right? How much you give me for him? Oh, okay. That sounds a little better, but let me put you on hold. I got somebody on the other line. You know, it, it's all this goes on. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen NFL franchises though, kind of uh, hold the line, so to speak, the power dynamics in the NFL between um, players in the uh, ownership is a lot different 
than really any other major professional sports. And we've seen over time where NFL franchises will just say, okay, you don't want to play, whatever. And they'll just let a player, we saw it with Keyshawn. All right, so let him hold out. Okay, let's say he says, okay, I'm just going to sit out the year. Forget it. Now, do you win as an organization? No, of course not. No, of course win. not. Does he no. win? Does it drive up the market value? That Listen, that's been that's been put out there as a scenario. Maybe, what if he just says, I'm going to sit out, I'm not going to play? How does that benefit him as a player? Well, it's going to it's going to hit him in the pockets. This isn't going to cost take, him money. I take as much as if, if he wants out of there, and he's going to tell you directly. They're not going to come out publicly. Goes, damn, he wants out of here so bad. We'll take anybody. No, <laughs> you're playing it right. We're, we're going to keep him. We're going to keep him. We're not going to trade him. He's staying right here. Forget about it. Don't call me behind the scenes. Everybody's talking. They can't. They can't come out and reveal that they're not going to come out and say, got to got, we got to get them out of here. No, no, no. They're holding serve, which is a smart thing to do. There's an old saying, let the phone ring, answer all the calls, listen to what they have to say, and then right. move accordingly. Uh, um, poor God bless Nick Casario just to be hired and to come into this situation, man. It's just like, I don't know if Nick Casario is like, man, did I sign up for this? Do I is this the job I really want now? I don't know if there's, oh, you, got if the there's gig. you know, how many guys right. want that gig, uh, but, but this one is a head coaching job, man. Let me tell you, guys will climb with their fingernails over a brick wall, a lot of guys to get that gig. Right. All right. Now, uh, Jerry, I'm going to ask you a question. I asked the fellows last week, man. Now you're, you're no way, longer. That's Panthers, Miami or San Francisco. As far as what? A, a, a no preferred. Longer. I'm sorry. I think those are the big four on his list. Oh, right so, now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I'm going to say yeah, we're going to say Panthers because we want them here. Panthers will aggressively investigate that. Jets, yeah. Panthers, Miami, San Francisco. Honestly, if I'm being objective, I think the Jets are honestly the best scenario. If I'm Nick Casario and I'm looking at what I could get back, if I'm being objective, I say the Jets. Now, the homer in me is going to say the Panthers, obviously, because we obviously want them here. Yeah. But I'm looking at two first round picks and possibly getting Sam Darnold out of the deal and making and Deshaun Watson's yeah, happy Donald because he has Salah as a coach. The contract expires. So, yeah, right. from a football standpoint, the Jets make a lot of sense from a football standpoint, personnel and what they can do. The Niners make sense, too, because you think about Shanahan has done with uh, with Ryan when he had him, turned him into an MVP candidate. And and uh, Shanahan is drooling to get a quarterback with arms and legs. So you can't. I, I will, this guy's going crazy. I'll say this. Brian Hoyer, when he had Bryant worked with Brian Hoyer, he made him into a respectable quarterback. So he's done great things with quarterbacks. The, the 49ers are the last team I want Deshaun Watson to go to. They are the last team I, I want to see him on. Yeah. And, I'm and I'm speaking That's of a, a business NFL yeah, yeah. team enhancement move. But emotionally, well, right, right. right, as a fan. Right, right. Yeah. But I, I do want to ask you this question. You you are no longer Jerry Valancourt. You are Jerry Tepper. If you are Jerry Tepper and you're sitting in the room, you're, you're sitting you're sitting in the conference room, Matt Rule's right beside you and all of your staff. What are you willing to give up to get Deshaun Watson here in Carolina? Now, before you answer that, <coughs> Dave Tepper, by all indications, has always said he will he will go the extra mile to get what he perceives to be a franchise quarterback. But you are now David Tepper. What are your thoughts and what do you give up for Deshaun Watson? Wow. I mean, I'm in a rebuilding mode with my Panthers. Um, <clears throat> if you can get the quarterback, if you can get your franchise quarterback. Uh, and begin to build? Does it set you back one year of flexibility in your drafts and all uh, to get him? You know, would I be willing to take that chance to bring him here? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. He's my yeah. franchise quarterback. He's the quarterback of my future. It's an easy selling point to the fans. I got arms. I get legs. I get a reliable quarterback who's blessed with extraordinary skills you can't get without giving. If you want to get that high on the Pantheon of quarterbacks, I got to sacrifice. So, you know, I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to give up things. I'm willing to give up some picks, a lot of picks. Yeah. I'll ask if you want that rule. <laughs> <laughs> don't get, don't get something started here. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to give up a lot if you want to get a lot. 
Kaz, I'm going to ask you the same question, man. If you're, you're, you're Kaz Tepper, what are you giving up for, for Deshaun Watson? I would give up a lot as, <laughs> as long as it was reasonable. A lot of people think that we should throw, like, McCaffrey in on the deal. Uh, I, I wouldn't only because you don't want to hamstring your new quarterback by taking away weapons that would benefit him. Picks, I'd, give, I'd give up McCaffrey. If, they, if the Texans asked for it, then, then yeah, I don't think the Texans would ask for Christian. I, I wouldn't say it initially, but if they asked me, we got to have McCaffrey. I would say okay. Yeah, I, I mean, because I can replace McCaffrey. I can get well, workload among a couple of players and be efficient. Because uh, I, I thought they put. I, I I said when they gave him that new deal, that deal could come back to to bite them. Mm-hmm. I got to give up to get. I give up an extraordinary talent to get my quarterback. No. Doubt about it. Run this back. No doubt about it. No. The ascension of Mike Davis has made McCaffrey more expendable. Now he can't do all the things McCaffrey can't. I won't put Mike Davis in space. I don't even care about all the intangibles. They gotta have McCaffrey to get him. You, I'll do it. (laughs) I'll put him in the deal. It's done. I mean, I know. You gotta go in that room. You gotta go in that room. Rehearsing in your mind what might they ask for? They will already know the. They already yeah. know the answer. They got to anticipate they're going to be asked about McCaffrey. I don't think you anyone crisis management. I go in that room and I go over every scenario with my staff. What if they want McCaffrey? What do we do? So when I'm going back in the room to talk to them, even though I don't initially put it out there, I already have that decision made in my mind. Yeah, the, the Panthers aren't good enough to have non-expendable players. There's no one on the roster right now that oh, I'm like. Here's the point. You just closed the deal for me. That's a yeah. good point. Yeah, yeah that there, is a really there, good point, man. I know uh, one of our fans said that Burns and Chin, they're not on the trading block. And as much as I love those guys, if, if trading them is going to make the Panthers better, then you have to do it as much as it, as much as it might would pain us to do so. But that's that's the reality of sports. Yep. Going back to the Hornets real quick, I remember when there was so – One talk- more thing. Ask yourself, how many players away am I from becoming a legitimate playoff team? How yep. many players away am I? How much closer does it take me if I get my franchise quarterback? And then what moves do I make after that? You have – every move you make – what are the what are the what are the after effects of my move? I have to have foresight. The, the Panthers are a lot of steps away, though. I mean, you, you take. I mean, look, the Texans were a terrible team last year, and and they had they have one of the greatest defensive players of all time on the other side of the ball. So I I think the Panthers are better than the Texans, and if you bring Deshaun Watson here, um, they'll be better than the Texans. But we still have so many. Holes, uh, there's no one on the back end. We don't, we don't have any any secondary. We need linebackers. Yeah, talk, don't talk yourself out of the deal. Don't talk yourself out of the deal. Are you willing to make that next big step to get the position that if you can get an elite talent at the position, that's true, yeah. you build up after that? All right. So here's an odd segue. So we're going to go from talking about franchise quarterbacks to video games. Jerry, do you play video games? Are you are you a gamer? No, no, no game. Okay, all, all right. Well, I look at is game tape. Game tape. <laughs> 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 <Music> so, <videos. laughs> so, so with that being said, we're going to start this next when I, topic. When I had an eight-year-old beat my behind in an NBA video game, he crushed me. <laughs> I gave it up. I retired early. I had a, a retirement ceremony at my house. <laughs> Now I know I know for a fact Kaz is a gamer. Kaza, do you remember going into GameStop and trading in the game and they give you what three dollars to, to 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 take a a, a, a game yeah. that was a year old back? You remember those days? Yeah. So with that being said, gentlemen, GameStop, the major retailer of all video games, who was a fledgling business because of of of, of digital gaming and and the and the the, the lack of, of hardware and, and and going into stores and buying video game stuff. There are fledgling franchises who all of a sudden their their stock price is now at $326 a share, guys. Now, the big story is everyone found out 
everyone started making money except billionaires and one percenters. The average common guys like myself were making a lot of money off of this stock. The, the, there were Reddit users who drove up the price of this stock to an insane price. Everyone got a lot of money in a short amount of time. And now Wall Street has a problem. Just think of that, guys. What, 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 what are your first thoughts when it comes to, you know what? Average Joe here made $80,000 in, in, in one week with this stock. Now the Wall Street guys are saying, you know what? Eh, it's too much money for you common guys. We're not making any money. We got to shut this down. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, first of all, it's funny. They're called Robin Hood, the app. Robin, Robin Hood, yes. Steals from the rich and gives to the poor. They did the opposite. <laughs> Isn't that irony? Here's <laughs> the thing. A year ago, GameStop was at $4 a share. That's when I bought like 100,000 shares. Oh, and, man. And then it went to $17 a, sh a share in January. And then it went to $193.60 this week. It closed. And uh, it had a high of 483, by the way, then dropped to 193.60. So you see how it's being played. Right. It's a hustle that's been going on forever. Yeah. It, it, listen, let me tell you something. People are getting so excited when they said, ooh, my 401k is popping. You know, tax breaks and all of this really helped me. It helped me, yeah, from the last election, the previous one. Right. But the one percenters were making a fortune. So you throw a little bone to the people. Yeah, make a little money on that 401k. You're feeling good, aren't you? Right. <laughs> I'm making a killing up here. But to appease the common man, they got to throw you some morsels to make sure you, you wet your beak a little bit, right? I mean, let's put right. this down for what it was. No, my 401k is great, man. Why did that be? Yeah. But top shelf people were killing it. Killing it. They kept you happy to keep you quiet. A little piece, a little piece of the pot. Well, nobody's complaining. Now, this comes in. Big doggies up top start seeing the little man on the bottom getting a little hip to the situation, starts putting some money in his pocket and saying, hold on, I'm willing to give him a piece of the pie, not two, but, but, but not half, not, not three quarters of the pie. Oh no, can't have that. So, you know, with, you know, greed always has need. Always. Uh, say, say that. I'm sorry. Say that again. Greed always has need. When people mm. say well, they got the money, what do they need more for? Big, big money people, to them, making money is an art form. It's not that they need more money. They just enjoy turning the money into more money. It becomes a hobby. Game. Yeah. It's, going on. it's been going on. When I saw the story, my belly burst from laughing. <laughs> Again, I thought God I jumped in when it was $4 a share. Hold on. Let me right. tell my driver something. Rock up. <laughs> <laughs> So 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 look so so when all this is over and we go ahead hey, when we're back at Kaza Studio man drinks on you is that what you're saying? Right, hey listen every time I come there you guys do me up right with breakfast I owe you guys. There you go. Let's play this virus thing. We got to handle this thing so all of us and friends and people and you know everybody gets better and we can have life back and camaraderie because let me tell you I pity the first woman I hug. <laughs> There'd be some hugging going on, y'all. <laughs> I in heat over there, Kaiser. What are your thoughts on this Hold on, Jerry. Hold on, Jerry. Jerry, hold on for one second. Kaiser, what you got, buddy? Um, yeah, just I mean to, to echo what Jerry said. I mean, the stock market got exposed for what it is, and and the people who feel like that's their expertise are upset because now now everyone knows that it's just a bunch of BS. I mean, they were betting on were getting mad at the market that never followed. Them. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Story, right? Um, GameStop, they were betting on GameStop to fail. Yeah, that was the whole thing. They were going to make they were going to profit billions off of GameStop going under. And then GameStop didn't go under. And now all these other people got rich off the fact that GameStop wasn't going under. And now these billionaires, they can't they, they can't get a piece of that pie. They can't they couldn't even get a little piece because they had bet on GameStop to lose. Um, one thing I'll never do is have sympathy 
familiar. It's just not gonna ever, it's not gonna ever happen. I understand we're all human. We all have really the same problems because we're all human. The thing is that people with a lot of money are better equipped to handle those problems or create distractions from those problems. They have resources that I don't have because I'm not a millionaire or a billionaire. So you know what? Them dudes gonna be all right. They're gonna be all right. Um, at Kaiser, real quick, I, I saw an interesting little nugget. There was some guy who, who was saying he lost, uh, I don't know, $3 billion in the stock market. I, granted, he's worth 20-something. So, And I'm thinking to myself, like, why can't you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and gain your $3 billion, billion back? I, I don't... They don't think like you. <laughs> right. They, they, remember, they, they, their art form is turning money into more money. So a loss, a loss is a loss. It's like you lose the game by one or you lose it by 20. You lost. Right. To them, it's a loss. So, yeah, he can offset or she can offset the loss of the money. But for some of them, it's a shot to their ego and their To the ego. Yes. Well, and the bad thing. They don't suffer like we would suffer. (laughs) It's a blow to their competitive spirit. So they think in a different dimension. And I'm not that I'm knocking them for thinking that way, but we always right. say, well, oh, guy's a millionaire. He, why didn't he give half his salary? To, because a it's loss, not how they operate. A loss. It's a loss. And they don't right. want to lose. The right. irony is that there's going to be regulations on the stock market now because of this. Regulations that have been long, long overdue. The yeah. problem is that those regulations will probably continue to benefit the rich in freeze out um you know, those of us who are, are not rich. So that remains to be seen. I personally, I kind of like the White House to step away from this. They have other things to focus on and just let this kind of run its course. I enjoy seeing uh, the billionaire hedge fund managers sweat a little bit. And, you know, hedging is supposed to be risky. Like that's the whole point of it. It, it, I mean, it's supposed to be if, if you're betting on a stock to fail so you can profit, that's yeah. supposed to come with a major, major risk. And they, all the sports fan is listening to us and going, fellas, I don't care. <laughs> what are we going to do with the Hornets? And Listen, actually, actually, this has a lot to do with the Hornets because there is a tie here. here. Yeah, the connection with the Hornets. connection of. Two uh, major hedge fund managers are yeah. in the employ of Mr. Michael Jordan. Yeah. yeah. And, um, apparently, he lost a little bit of money on this this whole thing. Does that, you know, the, what people don't understand, though, is like the Hornets money is different than like Michael Jordan's money. I know people right. think, <laughs> take that bill money and, you know, get Kevin Durant to come here. It doesn't doesn't work that doesn't way. Doesn't work like that, guys. Like, 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 like that pot of money is different from the LeBron James, Steph Curry money that you think that Michael Jordan has, and he's good. No, guys, it doesn't work like that. But um, just I, I want to share just a really quick thought about Michael Jordan and the two hedge fund managers involved. They're doing exactly what they need to do about this situation. Just stay quiet. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't. I really. I, I don't want to know. As long as nothing illegal, I just don't care. I hope they get their money back. That's it. Just stay quiet about the situation if you're Michael Jordan and Hornets. Yeah, that's it. Ain't nobody's <laughs> business. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much, like, man. As long as you're not getting in legal trouble for anybody, you know, handle your money. Handle, handle your money. Handle your business. We it, got other it, problems in our lives right now going on. We want a product on the floor for the Hornets and the Hornet fans. We're dealing with this virus situation. We're dealing with racism in this country. We're dealing with so many different things right now. Um, you know, we got yeah. we got we got to compartmentalize and and win battles that are incredibly significant to all of us. Right. Now, speaking of that, Mr. Jerry, is that your parting shot? Because we have reached the show where we are doing shout outs, shout ats, or just general parting shots. Whatever, however, it's your show. I'm just happy to be with you guys again. By the right. way, I included my hug group. I hug all y'all. <laughs> I need look, man. We need all the hugs we can get, man. Group man hugs. Group band hugs on deck, man. We we I, I dig it, man. But Mr. Mr. Valancourt, any other shout outs, shout ats, parting shots you want to give today? Wear a mask, social distancing. We put more pressure on our teams and ball players than we have on each other. If you're a true team player, 
in the world of sports, be a team player in the world of life. Wear a mask, social distance, wash your hands, wear it because you care about other people. If there's a health Absolutely. reason that you can't, different story. Wear your mask. We got to beat this virus. And we no got doubt, man. life back. I want everybody happy so we can just argue for the sake of arguing and debating and not argue about how we should look out for each other. Be a team. Yeah, wear your mask. Yeah, let's argue about unimportant stuff again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kaiser, what you got? Um, to kind of echo on Jerry's point, you know, I'm watching the game last night in, you know, a moment like Cody Zeller dunking on Giannis and there are no fans in the stand. Yeah. It's, it, it saddened me. Could you imagine yeah, yeah. what the hive, what would have happened, the energy in that place? When but, that just, but just that game in general, not only oh, just no, that yeah, jump, but that whole game was exciting. Yeah, man. Yeah. So it, I think it's just, you know, Charlotte's cursed. And it's just telling that the, the this is probably the most exciting and most popular Hornets team we've had maybe in 25-plus years. What? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. More popular than Alonzo and Larry Johnson and Mark. Well, that's what I said, 20, 20, that's what I said 25 years. But it's I not mean, quite 30. <laughs> the LaMelo Ball Brigade is very strong. Oh, absolutely. You, know, you watch the YouTube videos of Hornets highlights. Those videos are actually getting millions of views now, whereas before, no one wanted want to watch Hornets highlights. And, but everyone in the comments are saying the same thing. Well, we're only here because we only watch the Hornets because of LaMelo Ball. We watch the Hornets. But there's no fans in the stands to – uh, to create that energy, I just cannot wait to go back to a Hornets game, man. I, I tell you, I'm watching the game last night, like I would kill to to be there. I get, nervous. I get nervous watching college games, football games, whatever, and seeing people in the stands. I get yeah. nervous. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I, I actually, now, fans are gonna think I'm crazy. I turned down the ticket to the Super Bowl. Four tickets to the Super Bowl. Yeah, my job actually is being paid by the NFL to provide. <laughs> uh, uh, equipment and um so they had tickets uh and they were like hey we, we might need you to come down to do i, I do it stuff uh do you want to go to tampa and i'm like with twenty two thousand other people not no and not, not ready for that right. yeah sacrifice yeah. a little bit stay home stay healthy so yeah yeah have a nice summer and a nice thanksgiving and christmas next year so we can rally and do this because it's it sad i've been in lockdown since march 15th yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it's it, it, we'll we'll get there, but everyone has to do their part for certain. So no doubt, man. Um, first, my, my first shout out. Well, not really a shout out, man. But rest in peace, John Chaney, man. We lost a legend over the weekend, man. Legendary Temple Coast, man. If I had to kind of uh, put a, a a poster a poster man for Philadelphia basketball, it would be John Chaney. He represents everything Philly, everything Philly <laughs> basketball. Fiery coach, man. Passionate coach. Everybody's gonna remember. The the whole thing with him and the whole thing with him and um uh come on help me out guys John Calipari man uh they actually became friends uh, a after that whole ordeal man so he he was just a special guy that we lost um my next shout out goes to our brother Rodney man I just want to say it again brother man please get well man uh I, you know just more confirmation that this thing is serious. It is real. I don't want, I'm sick and tired of conspiracy theorists and, and, and all this misinformation that spread around uh, the internet about the, the authenticity of the coronavirus. It is a real thing. So we do want our brother to get well and to get well soon. Uh, third shout out goes to you, Jerry V. Again, it has been way too long since we have had you on the show. We cannot go this long without speaking again. You enhance our show you enhance our lives, Jerry. So, <laughs> yeah. so yes, man. Yes. This is a love fest today, sir. Oh, yes. Let's mercy. take it in. <laughs> That's great. Don't put that silver money in there. Put the paper. <laughs> I, so, look, I, one thing, and you're very, very kind. And that warms the heart. It's a pleasure being with you guys. You guys ever need anything, you just call me uh, if I can make a contribution. Send you a short video, whatever you need. But you said Philly, and it touched me. Can I add one thing? Yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, absolutely. Those with the virus. Phil McKenney was a friend on Facebook. Phil McKenney was also uh, one of my students when I was teaching psychology. Phil McKenney's a Philly guy. Phil McKenney was a monster hoop fan. Phil McKenney was sending me text messages many, many times about college basketball. He was a big Philly Five fan, Villanova, Temple, all those, and the NBA game. I remember he sent me a text. He says, I got the virus. 
I'm going to fight this thing. Time went on, time went on. The virus killed him. Mm. We lost another Philly guy, but it goes mm. to what you're saying. This is real. Yeah. So Rodney's got to get well. Everybody's got to get well. And I love your line. No more conspiracy theories. This is yeah. real. This is Absolutely. real. I went from knowing nobody that had it now to 14 people. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's real. Please. No be doubt, careful. man. No doubt, man. And with that being said, to Pleasure. everyone that. Pleasure. Great to see you. To everyone in the chat room, I know I sound like a broken record. You are our mouthpieces. You are our marketing department. We cannot express how much we appreciate you guys who are in our chat every weekend. So please like, share, subscribe, tell your mama, tell your daddy, tell your cousins, grandma, all that stuff, man. Mr. Jerry, once again, it was a pleasure, y'all. We will Thanks see you again next life. week. Kaiser Sose, my brother. Peace. Till the next yeah. time, man. Peace, y'all. Yes, yes. Stay safe. Be careful.